Welcome to the Pinelander Podcast, the official podcast of Pineland, broadcasting to you from an undisclosed location deep inside Pineland, where we discuss faith, family, finances, firearms, freedom, food, and everything else in between with those who believe in living free and living out the values that made this country free. Welcome to the Pinelander Podcast. My name is Paula Favor. I'm here with my ranger buddy, Mike Blackburn. Uh, and we're coming to you from an undisclosed location deep within Pineland. This is the podcast for America's Warriors. Today we're talking about leadership and special operations with retired Command Sergeant Major Terry Peters, former Command Sergeant Major of 3rd Special Forces Group, former Team Sergeant of 5th Group's ODA 545, and founder and CEO at Leader Solutions and Decision Support, LLC. Sar Major, welcome. Paul, thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's an honor to be with you and the team. Awesome, awesome. Uh, so Terry, amongst other fields, you're a recognized expert, I would say, in leadership. Uh, and we know that that's a field of endeavor that is crucial to the success of any unit. And now that you've uh, seen a lot uh, over your decades of service, uh, both uh, in the Army, and as you continue to serve uh, in, in all of the fields of endeavor that you have, as you see things now, what would you say, just to kind of break the ice here, what would you say are some of the biggest challenges uh, that the SF Regiment is facing right now for leaders? Paul, thanks. Uh, it, what a great, what a great icebreaker. Uh, you know, so I, I, I do have the privilege and honor sometimes of spending time with uh, you know, several, several leaders in many organizations inside the regiment. And, and I, and when I, when I spend time with them, I'm often a student of the environment to ask a lot of questions and learn. And so I'll tell you what I've, you know, what I've kind of derived from, from those conversations and my own observations. I think the number one uh, challenge we face is, is really retaining uh, talent and that there's a, there's a bigger part of the part of this, which is, which is, I, you know, attracting you know recruiting selecting and then and then delivering great talent into the formation and then keeping that talent engaged and focused and and committed to the organization for the long haul you know we have seen you know over the the last two to three years i've seen phenomenal leaders with a whole lot of legs left under them if you will in in their their potential to serve in uniform and, and they've exited for various reasons. So I think, you know, that arguably the number one challenge we face uh, is, is talent and talent management for the long haul. And that's a leader issue, right? I mean, it really is, it really is something leaders are focused on. There is no, there is no magic bullet, uh, if you will, that will solve it, but it is an area that leaders in, in special forces in soft and many leaders in the organizations that I work with on a daily basis are, are dealing with and are, are, are trying to solve uh, perpetually. Now, those are definitely a myriad of problems, a myriad of challenges. I, I mean, just from my layman's, I say layman standpoint, I, was, I retired as a team sergeant, uh, and I've been privileged to work out at uh, Camp McCall f- uh, since 2010. And we've, you know, we've covered, we've been in some of the same buildings, and we've right. seen some of the same problems. But my, my uh, take, I mean, I, I completely agree with what, with what you just said. And that's enlightening to me. And I've just been seeing, um, 
a not only a recruitment issue but also retention issue, and uh, correct. And so that raises a lot. I mean, those those are a lot of challenges for leaders. Just right yep. there. And, yeah, and and when you think about retention, right? When you when you start figuring out, you sit with guys and guys and gals, and you ask them, "Why are you leaving?" There's, you know, we're working through this period in the history of soft and special forces in my mind, where, you know, we're coming out of, you know, a significant period of of long term conflict. Uh, we are working hard to get back to, you know, with respect to mission application, where we were prior to 9/11 which is a whole lot more, you know, J sets and, you know, and, and training missions and, and those types of things. And, and that's been, in some instances, that's been tough for people to, to transition uh, with the times. And in other cases on, in recruiting specifically, you know, many of our recruiting, um, our recruiting marketing, if you will, is still focused in many ways to that kinetic fight that we were all involved in, you know, for so long. And part of this is just how are we really letting people know the, the dynamic job of special forces and, you know, why is there just intrinsic value associated with, with applying yourself in that job? And then, and then the other piece of this that gets to that is once you're in and serving, you know, our, our, our folks are addicted to uh, adrenaline and travel and all of the excitement that is part of being in special forces and, and in these times where, you know, these are more prolonged, uh, protracted engagements in countries, uh, sometimes it's just not as sexy, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, as some of the some of the work that we've done in the past. And, and, it, and, and folks, they really just kind of want or, or I think they in many instances are just trying to figure out how do they fit into the puzzle. And this, again, is, is critical for leaders to understand and manage that talent. And make sure that we're putting people into the right job and being selfless with uh, career goals. You know, if, if Paul and Terry work together and Terry's happy in this unit and wants to stay in it, then he should. And if Paul says, hey, I'd like to go try out for something else or, you know, I want to do something else, then then the leadership has to encourage that for the greater good of the service and service to the nation versus, you know, trying to be restrictive or, or you know, or align talent uh, to a certain job or function when there's really more opportunity for that person if we just open our aperture for them. Yeah, uh, Mike, go ahead. Yeah, well, no, I mean, uh, Terry, uh, thanks for coming on. I know uh, we've been trying to get you on the podcast for, for quite a while. Um, I think you are, in your style of leadership um, is, is, is the correct style and the correct type of um, leadership for today's challenges. And, and the reason why I say that is because um, you do ask questions. You are, you are inquisitive. You, you do enjoy the learning process. And I think that's one of the things that, um, uh, I've always admired about you, um, was you, you come into a room and you ask more questions than you, you, uh, dictate, uh, and you've always been that way. Um, I had the pleasure of, uh, coming out to SWIC, um, back when you were, out there at SUT, and and I, I don't know if you remember the times, but um, you know SWIC was kind of short personnel, and it wasn't uh, uncommon at all for um, cadre within SWIC to kind of lean over and help other uh, committees out. And right. uh, I came out to Camp McCall on, on a number of occasions just to help out with with SUT and what have you. And um, you know Master John Utley. I mean, there's a bunch of names I can you know <laughs> that I'm sure you remember. 
Um, and it was, it was a great experience for me because there was a, a sort of environment of trying to um, do the best that we could as a team. And um, you were always the guy that was asking questions like, how do we do this and how do we do that? And I, I think um, I was very impressed with, with the product that we had at the time out there. Um, and, of course, when Paul and I worked together at SUT, um, it was not uncommon to see you uh, pop into the patrol base and sit down with the students and just ask questions on how things were going and, and, and try to put your finger on the pulse. Um, with that being said, how much of this is kind of generational? And, and the reason why I bring that up is because we see uh, there seems to be a kind of a need for um, instant gratification and excitement uh, more so in the younger generations than maybe in my generation or your generation um, where we could, I guess we got um, fulfilled in different, uh, in a different capacity, in, in a different way. Whereas now it's kind of like, uh, it, like you, you mentioned the adrenaline rush. Mm. And it seems like that is almost like, Really, the challenge today is trying to keep the adrenaline flowing for these guys. Have you have you noticed that? Yeah, I, I, one Mike, thanks for you know, thanks for the, the the walk down memory lane really quickly there. That was that was good for me, um, you know. And I think I'll talk about the the habit that I I gained a long time ago of just asking a lot of questions. Um, you know, it, you guys know know my bio. I've had some pretty catastrophic failures in my in my career. And uh, at one point in my life, I was I was doing exactly what the army told me, which was, you know, ask people, you know, are you doing OK? Do you need anything? And I found that people would always say, no, I'm good and I don't need anything. And often that would turn out turn out bad. And so over time, I I started refining the questions that I would ask. And then I found that the other critical ingredient is just to be genuine and be present. Right. So. Uh, that that one on one time or, you know, one on group time or whatever it was, you know, I didn't I've never felt like uh, I've had all the answers. And, and I don't I've never tried to apply that uh, for quite some time. I, I would say as a <laughs> as a young E7 before some folks got my mind right, I, I would say I was probably as far off the rails as you could get with respect to what I thought leadership was and what I was doing. But but this ability to, you know, after after you get some really great people around you and they teach you and you you adopt a a mindset uh, that that ability to learn is so vital because you know through the collective is is how you how you solve problems but to your point you know this 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 uh, you know, our world has changed you know and i mean it has changed in so many ways and one of those is that much of what people are doing now is posted online for other people to see and judge and there is a a return on that uh intrinsically in some cases you know uh some you know uh brilliant friend of mine will talk about you know, dopamine and, and all of the effects of that on your brain. But there really is something to that instant gratification piece. And I think, you know, since we're talking about leadership, I think leaders have a real requirement from the first time you interact with talent to really set the conditions for what type of environment they're going to work in and then really influence through through persistent presence and through, you know, how you establish your organization's culture to let them know that, you know, so much of what we do is behind the scenes and will never be noticed and never be uh, spoken of, at least in open circles. And and I think that's part of a leader's requirement to say, you know, we want a certain type of person here um, who has these attributes and character traits. 
and we are going to expect you to apply those day in and day out. You know, assessment and selection does a, a an incredible job of no kidding finding the right raw talent for us, and then over time, you know, a person gets gets to group or gets to their operational assignment. Um, and some of those critical assessments, you know, aren't as consistent as they used to be with respect to feedback and, and some of those things. So people begin to drift and expectations begin to shape and change. And, and without, again, persistent leadership interactions, then, then people will begin to write their own narrative or try to pull the organization in a different direction. And I think that's why, you know, getting a, a, a bench of leaders who is focused uh, on, you know, speaking to that talent, managing it. Uh, and ensuring that you know the people that we're retaining are those people who may not need that instant gratification, but are those people who are, understand the the greater good that special forces specifically is is undertaking every day is really long term, twenty five year change in in locations, which we've seen repeated success at. Um, that's the things that we've got to make sure that we're we're on message with, and we're also making sure that we're speaking to that uh, that effect over time. So that we can reduce that sheer need for instant gratification, adrenaline, those types of things. Well, I think that I hate, I hate to use instant gratification because I, I'm not sure if that's really the proper uh, label. Because I right. think there's 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 other ways where these warriors get gratification, and I think um, you know one of it is just contributing. And yeah. I think um, you know when you talked about. Um, you know, you mentioned the fact that if a guy has a, a goal or a desire to do something else, okay, maybe he wants to take the long walk, for instance, or whatever. Um, maybe he's in the 82nd Airborne Division and he wants to go to a selection, okay? Um, it used to be in the old days, and maybe still is today, I don't know, but uh, it used to be that, that guy was almost considered a traitor um, within that unit. You know, how dare you uh, want to better yourself? How dare you want to do something besides, um, you know, work in this little slot that we have, you know, arranged for you. Um, and I, and I do think you're absolutely correct when you say that, uh, the military as a large organization really has to uh, embrace these guys that, um, you know, want to go slay the dragon, want to climb the cliff and, and encourage them and let them, um, you know, chase their, their ambition, uh, because you know, it all benefits us in the long run anyway. Um, we shouldn't, we shouldn't be pigeonholed, uh, you know, various warriors, especially when it's so hard to recruit them anyway and, and, and equally as hard to retain them. Um, are, we, are we doing a better job at that now? Are we, are, are we um, encouraging uh, our warriors to be, you know, all that they can be and, and contribute to the, the team and, and try to squeeze as much as we can out of these guys so they feel like they're a part of the process? We, we, I, I will tell you, Mike, I think we certainly are. And, and I'll give you a couple of snapshots in time. You know, several years ago, uh, Mark Eckerd was the, the Army Special Operations Command, CSM. And, and you know, I, I ran across a soldier who just had a, had a challenge and was a, you know, and, and a, a directly related to uh, retention. And so I sent Mark a, an email and said, hey, you know, I'm not sure if you've got the time. You know, these are this is an each kind of issue when you're sitting, you know, at Starfleet level, um, you know, will you, you know, will you take an interest in this and ha help solve it? And the response was instantaneous because, and, and I saw this, I've seen this repeatedly since then, but, you know, leaders are really hyper-focused on 
you know, how do we manage that talent and how do we let them, you know, get the most out of the, this opportunity to serve the nation. And, and what I have seen is just a genuine interest in, you know, you know, talent management, solving problems that are, that are impeding performance, any of those types of things. And it is significantly better across the spectrum of people I interact with than it was a few years ago. We might have one or two leaders who felt that way, who were selfless in the way that they really manage their talent. Uh, but now I see it, you know, just in, in significantly more widespread than I've ever seen it before in my life. And I think that is, it speaks to just how much, uh, how much people care and, and the other factor that I see is just, you know, how, how, little, uh, how little rank there is in some of the interactions that I've observed. You know, I, I was recently out at, uh, out at Camp McCall and the Center and School CSM, Lee Strong, who I think is just a, a, a phenomenal leader. I mean, you know, top 1%, uh, top a half of 1% of leaders I've interacted with over the last 15 years at least. You know, Lee walks into a room full of cadre and really just spends time with them. And he's, you know, he's just talking with them as adults. And, you know, he's not in any way anything other than uh, someone who has a responsibility for the center and school. And he's he's asking questions. He's given his perspective. He's listening intently. He's taking notes. And, and to watch that that humble process of leadership being applied, one speaks to that human, but he's also in that moment, he's influencing, you know, an entire generation of leaders next, right? And so we're seeing, I'm seeing more and more of those types of things that are happening and just the ability to, to really take an interest in the person in front of you versus this assumption that, you know, in, in the past, I think may have been there that this person's always going to be here or we'll get another one that looks just like them and they'll fill the, fill the spot. And now, you know, the, the numbers are, are too finite. Um, the recruiting pool is too finite. And so this genuine care about that human and their families is, is just widespread. I mean, it doesn't matter whether it's a, a general officer, you know, an E7 or anyone in between, there, there is this care that kind of permeates the organization in a way that I think is better than it's ever been. Because there was a point where, you know, we, we'd say it, but, you know, we really, we cared about your family uh, when you had an issue. But the rest of the time, we were just trying to work it really hard and get, get every, every mile we could out of you. And now I think, you know, you see this very widespread, um, this, this genuine concern for the formation, the greater good people in their families. And I think that's a, that's a winning uh, set of methodologies that's being applied. Well, you, you bring up something else too. And, and, uh, and I, and I came in, um, I went to selection in 88, I hate to date myself. Um, but during that time, during that, uh, you know, basically from 1990 through all the 90, uh, 1990s and, of course, uh, rolling into uh, our involvement in Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, there was a big push to um, grow soft as quickly as we could because we had – there was a demand. Um, there was a lot of things going on. Uh, there was there – was, uh, it was not uncommon for uh, guys in the community to basically be living in places like Afghanistan – I mean, they'd come home for a little while. They'd repack and bam, they're back in Afghanistan again. Um, very busy. Uh, we we got we got as big as we could uh, to try to meet meet that uh, meet that demand. Um, and of course, now we're seeing the articles on, uh, you know, maybe it's time to shrink soft. Um, and maybe it is. Maybe it's time to uh, get small again. Uh, start focusing on those core competencies. Um, the, the world certainly isn't any safer. 
Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? If we have a shrinking pool, um, is, is it maybe unrealistic to think that we're going to be able to maintain uh, as large of a soft presence as we currently have in, in uh, today's realities? Yeah, I, I, it's a great question and a great thread of discussion. I think, you know, with respect to size of our formations, I think the, the math equation itself is going gonna, is gonna to derive a smaller amount of people who are operationally capable inside the SF and USASOC formations. Um, and that's just because of throughput of courses, uh, you know, in, and, you know, the natural life cycle of, of people in uniform. So I think that's going to happen, um, and and I think you know we're gonna we're gonna see you know what that what that looks like over time, because you know I'm I'm happy to report you know that that standards in special forces school civil affairs course SIOP courses uh, they haven't went down. If anything, they've gone up over the last you know three to five years uh, that I've had some hands on it and been able to observe and ask ask hard questions, and so I will tell you that the you know that. That person who graduates, that operator who graduates any of those courses, um, they are they are they are at entry level plus when they, when they come to when they come to a formation. But the reality is, in many of our in many of our pipelines, the numbers just aren't uh, being produced uh, to a sustainable number to keep all of the all of the formations full. And so I think we're going to see a, a dwindling number uh, of formations, icons, if you will. Teams will be, you know, I think, you know, potentially back to five or four in a team room. And I know there's some some restructure going on, you know, from from the USOC commander's guidance um, to see what that may look like as far as icons. But the, the sheer number of operators that are going to be ready and deployable, I think, is less. And so that requires, you know, the, at strategic levels, this critical scrutiny of is this a soft and or special forces mission before we just raise our hand and say, yes, we'll do it. Right. Cause that's one of the things that we have done forever. You know, one of the things that, that fueled growth was, you know, you just sprinkle some soft on it, special forces or wh whoever you sprinkle them on it and they're going to be able to solve a problem because we have incredibly brilliant people who are adaptive thinkers and they're in high demand. Now we're going to have to, I, I think, you know, if I'm advising senior leaders, they're going to really have to think through, is this a soft mission, uh, probably to more detail than we've had to do in quite some time, so that we're not, you know, using our talent uh, in places and in ways uh, that's not the best use of that strategic resource. And I think that's something that's going to, going to take a lot of time. And I think, you know, if you're an E7 or an E8 out there listening to this, your voice matters, right? And that, that's the critical piece that I would tell anyone. Um, you know, leaders do their best to, to make decisions based off the strategic inputs, but they also need in a vital way, uh, the inputs of that person is going to have to apply the sweat equity on the ground uh, to get that to get that back. And, and that's just, you know, part of building relationship with your leaders and, and, you know, being that person who doesn't shy away from answering questions if you're asked, but no kidding, give professional focused answers to leaders when they're in your presence and ask questions, because that's the best way to keep our entire formation and organization moving effectively forward. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's that spot on. I, I going back to something you said earlier uh, and uh, you know, I totally agree with you. Uh, Lee Strong, one heck of a mile American, great CSM. Uh, you know, I'm we're very, I'm very happy that he's at the helm there. And uh, you know, something that uh, always both of you is uh just to throw a couple of accolades your way is uh, I, I think that both of you would say, you know, how things are done are, are, is almost as important as what's done. 
So the Correct. how is really important. And so, you know, just, just uh, little things like, uh, you know, like, hey, I put on my, my pants the same way and just relating to the guys in the room and not having a you know, us versus them, you know, wall that's there. I think it's so important. And I've picked up on that, pro, uh, that approach, uh, which I didn't use before. You know, I was, you know, basically a 180 out from what I used to do. So I've, I've learned a lot that way. And then, so I just wanted to make sure that was said. But, um, and I totally agree with you also as far as um, I say this probably to every Robin Sage class, and that is, you know, you guys are, you're just like us, you know, in, in many ways, in most ways, but there's just fewer of you. There's just not as many of you coming to the pipeline. And uh, so I say you're the same cut of cloth, you know, just a loincloth. Uh, you know, that's the that pun intended, but, but uh, the, and, and I think by by this discussion, you've kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, made the aperture a little bit smaller when it comes to ideas of this is going to make soft more competitive, uh, more selective, not only on what we do, what we bite off and what we say we can do, but also I would say more competitive is, or more challenging when it comes to, because we're going back to the challenges associated with leading an SF, and that is, uh, you know, team sergeants and you know, when they task people, you know, we're going to probably have an eight-man team, you know, maybe a, not, a, not a full 12-man. I mean, I went to Afghanistan with 15 guys. I'm sure you had yeah. a full complement yeah. of guys. And now you're going to have maybe, you know, maybe one medic, maybe one Charlie. And then some of those other MOSs are going to have to double dip. They're going to have to have, you know, uh, you know, little, your little, your buddy is going to be, maybe your junior medic will be your Charlie or who knows. And so you're going to have those other type of uh, challenges associated with that. Yeah, where to, cross-training is yeah, going to be more important. It's always important. But it used to be hard to find a 12-man team yeah. in NSF. We had ghost teams. Almost impossible. Yeah. yeah. But I think, yeah, I think we'll head yeah. back that way for sure. And, and, I, and, and again, you know, I, I, you know, I know there's a whole lot of super smart people uh, that are focused on, you know, at the strategic levels all the way through our operational formations and, and at the tactical level who are really um, intent on getting it right. And, and so that's every, you know, I've never, you know, in the last you know, 10 years, I haven't met a leader who's out to lunch at all, right? Uh, leaders have different focus. Sometimes commands aren't exactly aligned between, you know, the, the higher echelon and the lower echelon. Uh, but what I've seen is you know, everyone is, is very conscientious of this commodity called human talent. And they, they don't want to squander it in any way. That doesn't mean we don't have, you know, somebody right now sitting on a, on a pallet somewhere in a place where there's no trees or it's just hot or super cold saying, I'm not sure what the hell I'm doing here. But what we do know is that, um, you know, for, at some echelon or the other, someone knows exactly why they're, they're putting that talent on the ground. And then the critical piece that is making sure that, you know, what we're asking them to do, why they're there, and then the long term you know, long-term organizational designs and goals are aligned. And I think that's the piece that, you know, I'm excited to see um, more conversations, more leader actions around that than I've, I've seen, you know, in many, you know, many, many moons, if you will. I'm going to change topics just a little bit here. Um, we we're, we're witnessing, um, and this is really armed forces. Why this is, I'm not picking on SF by no means, or, or even the soft community. Um, but a lot of the uh, soldiers, uh, sailors, airmen, um, 
you know, coming into the armed forces. I mean, obviously they're coming out of society and our society, um, is less religious, if you will, uh, than it, than it has been in decades past where, um, there, there's always a strong foundation of kind of right and wrong. Um, and I think a vast majority um, of the population probably attended uh, church, synagogue, whatever, um, came out of sort of religious families. They had sort of a strong foundational upbringing. Uh, I remember when I went through basic training in AIT, I mean, we were marched to church every Sunday. Right. Um, the military's kind of gotten away from that that model. And so I think we're seeing the, you know, the normal uh, consequence of, of that, which is, you know, a lot of soldiers are uh, struggling with a lot of, uh, you know, different uh, issues. Uh, we're coming out of uh, a long time in Afghanistan, so you got all the PTSD and all the other things associated with that. Um, how far, how, how, how important is it... Um, for the armed forces today to sort of maybe reemphasize a belief in something higher than self. And is that, is that a requirement that um, we need to be instilling in, in our leadership today? Yeah, I, it's a, it's a great thread. And I'll try not to, to get too excited about this one because this came up in a conversation here uh, at the office, not, not too long ago. And, and someone asked me to draw a compare and contrast joining the military when I joined in the early 80s uh, to what I see now. And, and of course, the difference, you know, a crit- critical takeaway is, you know, when I joined the Army, it was happening to me, and now I'm a spectator to it. Um, so, so I'll give that caveat to anyone who listens to this and says, you know, you're, you're just absolutely wrong. Um, but, you know, when I, when I, when I joined uh, the service, um, and I, I went to every recruiter, uh, scored well on, on tests and every recruiter had a different pitch, but that pitch all was grounded in. If you've got what it takes to join us, uh, you will be allowed to be part of our formation. And, and, and that was very clear, whether it was in the Navy, Marine Corps, Army recruiter, didn't matter. Um, it was, you've got to meet our standard. And you, if, if you meet that and you get through all those cuts, then you will, you will be uh, in, in formation with, you know, your peers who've also had to go through that. And there are times when I, you know, I read an article or I, you know, I watch something on TV or I go to an event and I stand in a, near a formation and I look at uh, some of the things that I, I see where we don't have a uniform formation. Uh, we don't have uh, the standards uh, being applied equally uh, or any of those types of things. And I think the question I would ask senior leaders are, hey, I, I know we, we want the right talent. We're trying to pursue the right talent. But I think we still have a requirement to ensure that they join our team versus us wanting them so bad that we're hiring unicorns. And I think that's a critical piece of uh, tying that to, you know, the, the values of individuals must align with the values of the organization. Um, and the organization shouldn't accept people into the organization that the values aren't aligned because if you're not hiring for a culture fit and part of that is values, uh, then you're going to find yourself being pulled in different directions as an organization and it's going to ultimately hurt your performance as an organization. And I think, you know, as, as leaders look at initiatives across the board or, you know, things we're thinking about changing or adjusting, just ensure that we don't lose the criticality 
that's associated with the trust of the brand of special forces, special operations, the army, the department of defense. And whenever I open uh, a newspaper and I see something chipping away at that, that brand that all of us have, you know, sweat, sweated and bled, bled over. I think it's something that I worry more about as I get older than I ever did when I was younger, because in the formations that I could see, um, it was a requirement and it, it was very consistent that you've got to, you've got to make our cut um, and then we'll embrace you as one of our own. And, and I just, it, it's an open worry of mine. Do I have anything that says, you know, we're, we're heading off the rails? No. Am I worried about the, you know, the ability of the, the armed forces to serve the nation? No, but I do see the brand being chipped away a lot. And, and I think all of those things are tied together. No doubt. And that, uh, that, that really was going to her. Uh, you just, you know, paved the way for my, my question. Uh, I would say, and I hope you agree, and I know you agree, is uh, that the attributes of SF, uh, our, our, our DNA, are those uh, soft attributes. You know, professionalism, responsibility, adaptability, see if I can do all this, courage, uh, team player, integrity, capability, and uh, endurance and perseverance. Uh, th- I mean, that, how important is, is that then uh, in light of what you just spelled out? How, yeah, how important is that for, for, for leaders to recognize that and, and keep the brand? Yeah, I think it's so vital, right? Because when we talk about, and it's also important to understand how the attributes play based off where you are, right? I mean, when you think about your first day on a team, you know, personal responsibility was, you know, right place, right time, right uniform, right? And uh, when you think about some of the more intricate missions we've got folks, you know, a singleton, you know, in an embassy, uh, doing some liaison work or whatever that may be, uh, interacting with you know senior you know in-country officials and and host nation officials. Personal responsibility takes on a whole new level of meaning, mm-hmm. and I think as we you know and we always select our talent and and you know move it move it the right way. But I'll tell you something that I, I was guilty of, and I, I and I I see it now uh, periodically, where we just the the concept of accountability isn't to the level that I think it ought to be. Um, you know, it's, it's an amazing organization that we, you know, that we work in. And I used to make this, uh, used to give this little story of, you know, it's amazing. You could put, you know, 10 of us in a helicopter, you know, we could fly six hours in that helicopter and dismount, run, run seven clicks uh, to an objective, do whatever we needed to do there, uh, get on the plane, get on the helicopter and get lifted out and, and finish the mission. And, and we wouldn't spend the time to give each other feedback on those things that mattered um, because our loyalty to the individual far eclipsed, you know, the greater good or the integrity of the organization. And so I think as we as we think about, you know, and all these things are interwoven, right, leadership application, uh, talent management, you know, the standards and values that, that, that matter in the RSELF attributes, I think we have to understand that as leaders, our role is to ensure that we are giving the feedback, we are honing the application of those attributes, uh, and we're growing those the, the capabilities of that those attributes and people, and we're not compromising ourselves just because we like someone or we want them here, or they have the look or any of those types of things. You know, we're, we want to make sure that you know every day, day in and day out, those attributes are being applied um, by the best people on the planet in uniform. And, I, and that grows your brand and attracts people to it. And, you know, it, it, it self-perpetuates finding and keeping great people if those attributes are being enforced, aligned, recruited for, and developed uh, over time. And I think this speaks to, 
leader requirements, uh, no matter where they are in the formation. But yeah. that's, again, I get back to the criticality of that E7, E8 in a team room, um, that their jobs are just incredibly important to the fabric of the organization because, you know, your, your internal standards are yours, internal standards. And if they're good, fantastic, no one will ever, you know, they'll never be called into question. But if your internal standards and, the, and those attri that attribute application isn't aligned with a greater good, you know, we read about it on the front page or it shows up, it shows up with a 2 a.m. call of, hey, you're not going to believe this. Um, you know, that's that's how it manifests itself. And uh, and I think that's the critical piece of what leaders have to apply with respect to the attributes and just making sure that we're not compromising anywhere in the 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 the, the journey uh, of the soldier and the operator. You know, no kidding. Are we are we selecting and retaining uh, these people with the right attributes and, and enforcing them and, and developing as we go through time. Yeah, well said. Well, see, I think there's, and I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad we're on this right here because I, this is purely anecdotal. Okay. I, I don't have any data or anything to fall back on here, but when I, when I was working, uh, within the Q course, uh, and being around the community now, being around the, these young warriors now that are coming in and filling these ranks and, and, and doing the, the hard job. Um, what I've noticed is I think it's very easy for uh, us to address all the physical requirements and deal with all the physicalness of the job. Uh, and I've never thought that we did a very good job of um, feeding the emotional, mental uh, needs of these guys, uh, or at least not as good as we ought to be doing. And it seems to me like there's a, a hunger. Uh, yeah, you know, everyone remembers the old commercials maybe of, uh, you know, the Marine Corps commercials where the guys, you know, climbing the cliff and, and slaying the dragon, you know, and, and he wants to be a Marine. You know, he wants to do something tough, something beyond uh, his own uh, abilities. Uh, he wants to see what, what, what he can do. Um, but it's, there seems to be a hunger for the other aspect of that, which is um, – you know what? What is it to be a warrior? What What are the virtues? What are the the, right. the ethics? Um, and I don't I don't think I'm not sure if the leadership in SOF is real familiar. I mean, we're we're easy about telling the guy he needs to go down to the gym and work out, and he has to run fast and be able to carry a big ruck. But I'm not sure if we are taking care of the mental and emotional um, requirements that these guys have um, as well. Yeah, and I think it's uh, you know, it's it's tough, right? Um, because you know the the physical aspects, as as all my uh, my friends in the psychology space will tell me, physical aspects are easy to measure, right? They're easy to they're easy to to identify, measure. You know, we can coach through those. Um, the the emotional aspects, especially uh, if you're going to if you're going to embody what you want someone to embrace requires leaders to be incredibly vulnerable and it requires them to be very transparent, right? Um, it's tough to get, you know, a senior leader, let's just say a senior E8, uh, E9, to say, let me tell you how I feel and when I feel the most defeated and what I need to rejuvenate my soul every day uh, and the things that hurt me emotionally that I'm still struggling with. It's tough, right? It's tough to get to that level of trust and vulnerability because, I think this plays to 
um, you know, we still we still we still want, and we 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 often I think may have a false belief that our leaders uh, and the people that we're selecting ahead of peers, uh, you know, don't need that, right? They they they're they're just uh, their iron will and their uh, and their physical abilities are going to get them through anything. And, and, you know, as we've seen, you know, we've all seen it. We've all seen, you know, small dips to catastrophic dips in, in your mental wellness uh, and, and focus. You know, we've seen these things. And, and I think it takes, it takes a, a, you know, a comprehensive uh, approach by all leaders to speak to it very honestly. Um, I used to give a, a professional development session on what failure looks like, right? And I, and I, uh, I went through the mechanics of, uh, of, of, of failure to a point where, you know, people lost their lives and, and you go through this. And, and part of that was speaking to the emotional, the, you know, the place I found myself emotionally. Um, and, and it was something that, you know, what, no one in my life had ever spoken about. I didn't grow up in an environment where you, know, you talked about your feelings and, and I didn't grow up in a soft place in, in, in the soft formation where people talked about their feelings. Um, it was, you know, your focus is on the mission and, and people, but it's really getting the people ready for the mission. And so, you know, I think for leaders to to embrace that is a bit of a sea state change. But I think it ties to the other points you've made where, you know, <laughs> values, ethics, uh, that balance of, you know, faith and, and all of those other factors in a human, they, they deserve a 360 look consistently uh, so that we can actually you know, work with people to make them the best human possible and also understand that all of us uh, have challenges that we deal with every day. And, and you have to you have to look at those with the same tenacity that you'd look at uh, with someone who, you know, is stuck at five pull ups versus, you know, where we need them to be. So uh, it, it is and it is a lot because it takes time and it's it's squishy. Right. I mean, you know, the, the challenge with many warriors is they want something concrete and something they can you know sink their hands into you know, get, get, get physical with, you know, um, you know, this concept of, you know, mental, mental health focus, you know, uh, transparency, all that squishy stuff. And, and so often it makes people feel uncomfortable, but I would say, you know, it, it is okay to, to jump into it and, and really uh, find that the, those professionals who can help you articulate it and then really get after uh, making your team better and yourself better by understanding and appreciating the, the, the circumstances. You know, uh, Dr. Preston Klein and his team wrote an incredible paper on residue, right? And really gives, gives us all perspective on the things that happen to us over time and, and how, that, how that affects us, right? And just makes us who we are and how we can embrace it. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a powerful set of work. And, and, you know, if you haven't interacted with Preston Klein, you certainly should, because every time I'm around him, I just feel like, one, you feel smarter if you're near him, but when, when you when you listen to, to what he says and, and the work that his team is doing, it's just incredible work that every every, every operator ought to spend time with. But um, it is it is squishy, and I think it takes us a while to to really embrace it and get after it. And and, and I'm not sure how we're doing in that space. You know, when I when I have traveled to each I think every group I've visited, and we're doing things like you know putting human performance and wellness. Uh, inside and and close to all of our physical fitness centers and all the other aspects of this so that we're no kidding looking at the whole operator uh, when I see I was out at first groups area not too long ago and it's just just it's just incredible what's happening out there um, and I when I, when you look at you know some of those positive um, 
you know, constructs that are in place, it really gives you, you know, understanding there's a lot of great work going on. And when I talk to the folks at USASOC HPW, and I see all of those initiatives that they're working for all the right reasons, it inspires me to know that, you know, we are really focused on, you know, all aspects of the soldier um, and the operator in that formation and, and those people around the operator. And so I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it, but I think we got a lot of work to do in that space. Well, here's another um, observation that I've had, and I and I, I don't, I don't, I'm not quite too sure how the uh, the community uh, handles this. I've I've constantly scratched my head trying to figure out how these guys do it. But I, when I when I went SF, I mean, I was a staff sergeant. I was coming out of a combat arms unit. Um, I had the opportunity to be a complete bonehead, uh, learning leadership at uh, E4, E5. And some E6 um, levels, uh, team leader, squad leader, and, and all the rest. Um, and, it, and it wasn't pretty. You know, it was a typical you know 20, 21 year old leader. Um, a lot of energy and not not a, not a lot of brain. Um, but in SF now, I mean, we we have the 18 X-ray program. We have a lot of folks that are coming in off the street. Now they're 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 exceptionally you know smart folks. A lot of them are very talented. Um, but I've always wondered, like, you know, what, how these guys do that? Because I, I would, you know, the sheer thought of my first leadership position uh, being a team sergeant uh, would, would terrify me. Um, and I don't know how these guys roll into that type of uh, position without having, you know, the opportunity to, to make all the mistakes that I made at a very young age uh, being in charge of others. Um, and I think being a leader today is probably even tougher than it was back in my time. So uh, what are we doing in the community to try to help these guys to where when they finally jump yeah, into so, that leadership position, no, they're, a, they're ready? Those are, those are great questions, you know, and, and I think, you know, first to set the context, you know, we are, we are bringing more 18 x-rays uh, into our formation than our active duty enlisted that are coming from, you know, from, from the rest of the army. And so what we're seeing over time is that our force is getting younger um, and which adds to, you know, uh, you know, it, it adds to the complexity of leadership because, you know, as you as you all, you, both of you remember from being a team sergeant, you look around, you've got people in their mid to late thirties uh, who are natural problem solvers, and you can get them moving in a good direction. Some people on your team are in their forties. Uh, you know, your team sergeant's been around and had multiple assignments, and 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 that's still happening. But you know, it, it was easier to move that team and and split them up and and find those right you know right sub teams to work. Uh, so there is there is that factor, and and is you know to your point, Mike. I think it is. I think it's significantly harder to lead now. I mean, just I mean, when I when I engage any leaders, and I just you know I was in a conversation two days ago about data management, you know, of all things, and and you know thinking about all the things that we track and look at, and you know we're we're keeping stats on on humans now in ways that you know over time will let us understand the human better. But all of these factors go into leadership versus, you know, in the old days, you know, you know, uh, you know, club and cart kind of thing where, you know, you just you, you wanted to know the fabric of the human, what the mission was and aligned to it. And, and it, I, I felt like uh, it was just significantly more uh, straightforward and, and without you know, so, some of the complexities that I think our leaders deal with now. So what you've got is, you know, people who are, to your point, graduating younger in life without that military experience, and you know, in a, in a quick minute, you know, they're 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 team sergeants, 
uh, and and or are leading others. So there's a few things that that we're seeing, right? One, you know, these these broadening assignments at, at about the three year mark, you know, coming to the Special Warfare Center in school, as I tell everyone, is 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 a place where you're going to learn who you are and how you lead. Um, people say, no, nope, I, I know who I am on a team and I'll, I'll argue with them all day and say, you know, I disagree because, you know, on a team, you're doing a lot of group think. Uh, when you're an E7 in, or an e, senior E6 or an E7 and you're responsible for, you know, 13 lives on a, on a patrol uh, and all the safety factors and knowledge transfer and everything else, uh, and you have a greater responsibility to the regiment, uh, you're going to figure out who you are and how you lead and you're going to mature very quickly because you realize that uh, you're going to have some, you know, everything you're doing has a, has a tail to it, if you will. And every person you interact with, you're going to inherit when you go back to the operational force. So we're seeing broadening assignments being used better. And I'm, I'm really excited about the professional development that's happening in those broadening assignments. And the other thing, you know, after talking to Chuck Ritter and, and seeing what they're doing at the, at the NCO Academy, uh, really this, this, you know, the concept of getting a whole lot more mentorship going on there and, and really the curriculum has been enhanced in, in just great ways. Uh, so, you know, we're seeing some of that, those initiatives also, uh, but, but I'll tell you that, you know, my conversations with leaders will tell you that in, in some instances, you know, our team sergeants, you know, are 10, 11 years in and they're E7s. And, and I think, you know, when you think about an 18 X-ray who's been in 10 years uh, total and you figure a good, you know, third of that career has been in, in some professional development, that's a, that's a tough, that's a tough leadership assignment uh, to take a strategic asset or resource forward uh, with your O3 counterpart, who's been in about the same amount of time, and your team is is relatively young, so we're expecting a lot uh, out of that that team, uh, and that's why again leadership presence, coaching, building in a culture that's right, uh, getting the attributes right, getting development right, and and focused on uh, the greater good of the organization is more important now than I think it's ever been. Wow, I mean that's certainly a lot to take in. Uh, so now that we got you cornered, I mean having you know, built all of this as a foundation. I wanted to ask you, okay, so you're a, you're a new Green Beret and you're showing up to group. What advice would you offer an NCO or, and or an officer? I mean, could you tease out a few key points for them to consider as they're showing up to yeah. group? I think, the first, I think the first thing that I would remind everybody is whether they want to or not, the first thing they're going to do is inspect you. Right. Um, I, I was a, I was an E7 instructor at Camp McCall when I learned this lesson. I'd, I'd been out for three days walking patrols. And, and Paul, as you remember those days, uh, you know, you were out for, you know, 14, 15 days at a shot and uh, you come back in and you're just pretty nasty. Um, so I came in and uh, the, the Army Special Operations Command and the SF Command and Swick Star Major were all there waiting for me. And they, they wanted to talk to me about something. So I came in, I hiked and rucked across Camp McCall because in those days, I think we had one truck for each company at Camp McCall. <laughs> so I had yeah. rucked from, I'd rucked from, you know, out there at uh, Oran DZ back to meet them. I got a call on the radio says they're here waiting for you. So I, you know, I hustled, you know, across the airfield and got in covered with sweat, you know, two days without shaving sleeves rolled up because it's hot. Uh, and, and, uh, and, and we finished the, the discussion and then the, the Swick Star Major took me for a walk and he said, I want to tell you something. He said, you're doing a fine job. He said, but the first thing we do is we inspect you. He said, and when we get back in the vehicle, we're riding back to Fort Bragg. The first thing we're going to have to reconcile is why you look like the way you look when we think we've got a professional E7 running training out here. And I said, 
something that I've been up for, <laughs> you know, it didn't matter, right? I had a, I had a pretty healthy excuse uh, about, you know, I've been up for two days and, you know, we, we're, we're doing combat training and on and on. But his point to me, the, the thing that stuck with me is remember, no matter whether you're walking into a civilian interview 20 years from now, or you're walking into your new team room, the first thing people are going to do is they're going to look at you and they're going to assess you, right? So, you know, first day, right place, right time, right uniform, uh, be yourself, be confident, but also know that you've got a whole career's worth of learning you've got to do as quickly as you can. And I think that's the, for, for that enlisted soldier, that's, that's what I'd say. For the commander, I'd say you've got a, you know, tougher, you got a tougher time ahead of you because, you know, when you graduated, we, we said that you can command an A-team, right? Now you're going to get a coach and a mentor there. You're going to get a coach in, in the form of a team star, and you're going to get mentors in the form of your Warren and, and those enlisted, enlisted folks. You're commanding on day one, commanding an A-team. Hasn't, hasn't gotten any easier uh, by any stretch. So you've got you to assert yourself to this point where you're commanding uh, without compromising uh, the, the goodness and, uh, of that organization that is an NCO-led organization. Uh, and that really begins with a, uh, the orientation of who you are and then a process by which you learn what the team's focus is and then you learn how the personalities on the team and build that critical relationship with your team sergeant very quickly. That has to happen fast. Uh, for a new, for any of the, for a new officer going into, into the company, I would say, you know, go talk to your company sergeant major, right? One, he sees the world, he or she sees the world in a way that uh, no one else does. They have the experience and maturity. They want you to succeed uh, and uh, they can influence their counterpart across the way. Uh, but they also are going to be that person who can tell you, you know, everything about that team from their perspective before you set one foot in the door. Uh, for the enlisted, for the enlisted folks in that first week, it really is, um, you know, take it all in, learn and listen. People are going to ask you, uh, you know, your opinion on things. Uh, I would, I would default to observations versus opinions in the first, say, month I'm on the ground, um, and and know your own capabilities and also know your values. I think those things will get you through the door. And then from that point on, it's just no kidding be the best teammate you possibly can be a better version of yourself tomorrow than you were today. And I think that's the, that's the goal that drives us all. And, and I think when we see that happening in those best teams, they're, they're extraordinary and untouchable um, when, when that happens. And, and the best teams have thought about receiving you professionally and getting you oriented, right? That's, that's a, that's a real responsibility of leaders on those teams already uh, to make sure that they're receiving that talent. And, 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 and I haven't seen any of the, you know, the gates that used to be there, you know, you know, you've got to get through these gates before you're a functioning member of a team. I just haven't seen that in a long time. And I think, you know, we're really embracing the talent from day one, but you know, that, that's, a, that's also a requirement to make sure that, you know, you're influencing what, what, how they fit on your team and the culture of your organization can't be compromised because you're bringing new people on. So it's, it's just a real requirement on both sides, if you were. Well, yeah, I wish I knew that. Uh, uh, maybe you could, you know, had Bill and Ted and their excellent adventure give me a time machine travel and give me those uh, key points before I showed up. So I think I, I, I did it the wrong way, but yeah, that, that was fantastic. Uh, thank you for that. And then I also wanted to get a plug in for your LLC here, Leader, Leader Solutions and Decision Support. Can you tell us about that? Can you tell us about your mission and, yeah. and, and that? Yeah, so in a nutshell, our, our mission is to make people and organizations better, right? So we have two business units here. Uh, one is what we effectively know as organizational excellence, which is really the leadership stuff we're talking about. So 
you know, we're, we're helping people write strategy and, and, and deliver that strategy with effective teams and, you know, through a lot of, a lot of effort along the way. In fact, I've, you know, we facilitate a lot of offsites. We, we run a lot of workshops. We, we help, we help organizations uh, really achieve their goals um, in that space. The other side of our company is risk mitigation, right? It's, uh, it's uh, everything from, you know, keeping travelers safe to managing organizational risk to everything in between. And it's a, it, the two together really, you know, I, I say affectionately, our company is focused in those two areas because that's where leaders spend 80% of their thinking time and it's where most of their worry resides. And so, you know, we, you know, I, I when I started the company, it was originally just a, a tax, you know, place to keep taxes. And then what we found is that the more that we worked, uh, the greater demand that, that that there has been for what we do. And then the other critical piece, much like our soft background, is we don't broadcast, you know, our clients. And our clients are, you know, if you ever get out to the office, it's a pretty impressive uh, group of icons that we have uh, and, and brands that we have on the wall. Uh, but we don't broadcast them. I mean, and because we know that often uh, the work that we do is pretty sensitive and, and we're dealing with, you know, structural change, or organizational change or or worries of leaders. So, you know, that's what people say, you know, why don't we hear more about the the clients and the companies you work with? And I'll say that's by design. And of course, uh, you know, that, that that makes it really, really interesting for us, as well as, you know, it, it means that the right people are on our team. Our team is is amazing. Um, you know, when, when I first started the company, I would have told you that, you know, if you go forward uh, 12 years that you would see nothing but, you know, two A-teams worth of folks out here. And I'll tell you, it's not that way. Our, our team is uh, 85% women uh, and incredibly diverse because what we did was uh, about two years into it, uh, when we were really just struggling, we decided to relook the way we worked. And it was the soft model. It was, let's, let's, <laughs> let's attract, hire, and promote the best people possible. Full stop. Let's take away biases. Let's take away... Uh, let's take away any of the other things that I thought you know, made someone the right fit. And what we, when we, when we made that adjustment internally, what came out, what's come out the other side is an incredibly dynamic, cohesive team uh, that is, is uh, reflects all of us. And it's a pretty, pretty exciting place to be every day. And, and there's never a dull moment from, you know, last week uh, in Israel to, you know, to uh, a, a couple of days from now helping a, uh, an organization work through their the, their strategy for the future. So, pretty neat stuff, and uh, happy to be happy to still have a job after all this time. Yeah, awesome. And uh, uh, for our listeners, also uh, there's the Dynamic Leadership uh, Strategies podcast. Uh, I took a listen to the one on F, uh, about after action reviews, and uh, got a lot of after out of that. Just came out a month ago. Check that out. And, uh, you know, so Sergeant Major, we talked about a lot of stuff uh, regarding leadership, uh, some challenges that uh, are facing the soft community. And, uh, you, know, you know, one of those, uh, you know, obviously is now that uh, the high tempo of the combat operations that we had in the Middle East are, are slowing down and are pretty much over. Uh, we're facing, you know, morale challenges and then moral challenges. And I think uh, today's discussion is really underscored the importance of the of the soft attributes and uh you know and and maintaining that brand that we have in the special forces community so i mean i hope that you guys picked up on that uh and if so if you don't have 
uh, you know, as the world becomes more, I think, more and more complex, probably the most complex has ever been, it, 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 uh, it just underscores the importance of uh, leaders sticking to our guns on those attributes because that's, that's our DNA. We're known for that. And if we, we lose that, then we lose who we are. And so I, I, think, uh, I think it's so important to do that. And I think that was great takeaways uh, for new guys showing up the group. Uh, so I appreciate your time today, Sergeant Major. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and, and thank Paul, you for coming on. Yeah, thank you guys. And if I could, you know, for leaders out there, you know, remember, you know, and 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 I I think I I found this out just a hair too late or or a later point in my career. But look, you know, you have to know who you are uh, to start with, and you have to know what your values are. And remember, if you're leading, you are you are exerting your will on others right you are influencing them in a way to achieve the greater good of the organization and you can't do that if you're not sure who you are and you're not sure of what you or what uh, of the organization and what you believe about that organization they've got to be aligned and if you're conflicted you're not the best leader that you can be and i think mm -hmm. that's the that's the thing that i would leave leaders with mm -hmm. uh and and i think it's important to have you know people that you trust that you can be vulnerable with and to, uh, to help you sort through when you're just unsure, right? It, it, it's not something you figure out by yourself. And I've been blessed to have just incredible leaders around me for a very long time. And every day I, you know, I, I learn volumes and I, I'd encourage all leaders to, 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 to take some of that with them. Well said. Um, so thank you. Thank you for your time today and uh, appreciate you, uh, uh, always taking uh, time coming out to McCall keeping us straight. So CSM, Terry Peters, God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Pinelander Podcast. If you enjoy our unique content, please consider supporting our sponsors. Soft News, providing special operations news from around the world. It's where Paul and I go to keep abreast of what's going on within the soft community. Check them out at soft.news. Blacksmith Publishing been serving the warrior class since 2013 they have great titles written for warriors by warriors if you're looking for excellent reference material or just want to unwind with a great novel be sure to check out the bookstore located at blacksmithpublishing.com if you're looking for some cool pinelander apparel head on over to the general store located at pinelandergeneralstore.com that's all one word pinelandergeneralstore.com have a great selection of shirts, hats, jackets, sweaters, stickers, patches, artwork, and a whole lot more. Check out the store at PinelanderGeneralStore.com. If you're interested in helping develop our country's next generation of warriors, uh, please consider donating to the American Agogi Project. The mission of the project is to foster an environment producing able-bodied citizen warrior men of fine character. And we'll be officially launching the project in 2023 in celebration of uh, Blacksmith Publishing's 10th anniversary. Until our next meeting, stay mentally and tactically smart, physically and spiritually strong, and socially astute. To each other, we pledge our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. May God continue to bless Pineland.